In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Are you on my email list yet? The Wildfire Newsletter is a great place to get all the wildfire-related goods from details and photos of podcast guests to how to take advantage of my free writing workshops. Each week here on the podcast, we hear stories pulled straight from the pages of Wildfire Magazine. Maybe you've been thinking about submitting your own story. I hope this podcast is inspiring you to write and to share. My newsletter is a great place to get submission guidelines and issue details for upcoming themes of our magazine. I publish every other month on themes that help us dive into what survivorship means and looks like. The newsletter is also where I share deeply personal stories from my own 10 years in cancer land. Recently, I told a story using the prompt, what remains when the facts are gone. So pop over to wildfirecommunity.org to add your name and email to the list to become a wildfire insider today. All right, here we go with today's episode. Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. This quote comes from the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. I thought I was the only one. Today, I'm bringing you a story of the intense friendship born out of a shared cancer experience. My guest today is returning to the burn for the second time. She's only our second repeat guest so far, but once you hear her story, you'll know why. Denise Archer has a knack for telling it like it is, telling cancer like it is. Today, she's giving us a warm seat at the table with her and her cancer friends. Denise is a sewist, a writer, and a school bus driver in her first year. Denise was diagnosed at 45 with stage 2 triple negative breast cancer. She began sewing for herself at 15 and continues today to learn how to adjust sewing patterns and clothing to fit her new post-treatment body. Denise lives with her husband and teenage son in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Denise. Welcome to The Burn. Hey. So happy to be back, April. Yeah. So nice to have you. So today, you are here to read a piece that you wrote for our 2019 social issue. Your story is called Dynamite for the Dinner Table. And for those of you listening, stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's story. All right, Denise. I'll let you take it away. All right. Every month, we stake our claim around the wooden circular table, a comfort for thousands of past and future elbows. It comes with a matching set of heavy wooden chairs, the seats and armrests polished to a shine from all the people who have passed through them. Our hands wrap around warm mugs of coffee or tea. Often, there are little white plates with baked goods poised on top. We talk about life, vacations, bucket lists, loved ones, anything on our mind, really. 
My husband was curious if I would get tattooed nipples on my foobs, Serena says. I don't care if he's creeped out by them. We respond unfazed. I'm scheduled to have sex with my husband next Wednesday, Skye says at a later coffee. She just had her uterus removed. Gallons of lube is all you need, I say. My vag is as dry as my arm. Jen's hurts to the point of needing a special numbing cream before sex. But doesn't that numb your partner schlong, a few of us wonder? She says no, but I doubt she'd give it up even if it did. At another coffee, Emily chats about the electrolysis done to her chin. Apparently, menopause caused her to grow a beard. She could join a circus. We all talk about how we're practically bald down there and with few hairs on our pits and brows, but the once soft, delicate features around our jawline and mouth is another matter. Menopause made your pubes migrate to your face, I say. We all laugh and my voice cracks and ends in cackles. Thank you for this too, menopause. I've talked with my doctor and I've reviewed my finances, Mindy announces at the table one day. I'm retiring next month. We all cheer even though we know what this means. Mindy's lazy cancer is doing its job. Haley has already retired. She was a teacher, but now she's living her best life with her two young daughters, husband, and her mother, who's also her best friend. We envy Haley's relationship with her mom. Jen can't sit with us every time because she owns the coffee shop and is sometimes short an employee. But on this day, Jen's at the table reviewing a stack of paperwork nested in a manila folder. I lean in, curious. I'm trying to figure out when my cancer will return, Jen says. We're both squinting at a tiny graph, so small all I can see is fuzzy lines. Fucking chemo killed my eyesight, I say, and slide readers onto my face. Jen's prognosis for a recurrence seems to increase every year she's alive, so that by year five, she has a 60% chance of making it. Jen had been flung from an initial stage four diagnosis to stage three and has landed back at three and a half on the cancer meter because the entire track of lymph nodes along her arm was involved. By contrast, Skye has the best chance. She caught her cancer at stage zero, and she didn't mess around, just cut them off and went flat, no filigree about it. She says it took her three slices of pizza to get over what she had done to her body. My life is definitely better since I had cancer, Emily says. This, from Emily, who is still jacked up on antidepressants to stop the incessant tears. Becca and I nod in agreement. It sounds crazy, queen cancer anointing us with a better life. But there's a seize-the-day awareness that the three of us cannot give up. We like the high. I know the rest would disagree, perhaps even call it cheap thrills in a big steaming pile of horseshit. Becca finally gets her deep flap reconstruction after a year of wearing her expander. She has to return for a final touch-up surgery and ends up being squeezed into a black compression catsuit for weeks after. I imagine her walking around her kitchen with a sponge in her hand when she should be carrying a whip. I met Becca after a friend sent me a text. I know someone who was just diagnosed with breast cancer. Can you talk to her? Serena and Jen came by the same way. Mindy had seen my bald head at the elementary school graduation and reached out. Becca invited Emily. Haley was brought in by another friend who joined our group for a short while before she found a job. And an old college buddy connected me to Skye, who had already gone through what I was just about to get into. I'm scheduled to be interviewed for a podcast about sewing through cancer. Everyone gives me unanimous consent to share details of their experiences, and I'm both stunned and moved by their trust. Haley insists that I use her full name. Okay, Haley Ray. Sky too. All right, Sky labeled. My stomach roils under the weight of this responsibility. I don't believe I can do my friends justice. Rewind to the year before when everything still felt innocent. Sky goes underground. After missing her second coffee in a row, I receive a text. 
They found multiple tumors in my liver. I have a year to live. What? Stage zero sky. The next two days are an explosion of texts shot back and forth and across the group. I love you, Sky. We love you. More news is shared. It's worse than they thought. I have months, maybe weeks. Then weeks turn to days when Sky descends into liver failure and is too floppy to lift her head up from the hospital bed. We love you, Sky. We love you. We love you. We love you. We meet at Jen's coffee shop, sit down wide-eyed and speechless. The table holds the weight of 14 elbows. Becca's face is a silent stream of tears. Jen's sobbing isn't so quiet. We decide to make Sky a dyeing shawl out of silk with our names embroidered on it, and for two days, my tireless fingers work on the embroidery. I go to bed at midnight and wake up early, hoping it isn't too late. But Sky's insurance finally approves an infusion of Herceptin, and just like that, she perks up. The next nine months are rough as Sky slogs through chemo, radiation to the brain, and physical therapy. Fourteen months later, she's still here, taking pictures at her son's football games and watching her daughter do homework in the kitchen. If there was a choice, perhaps some of us would be the ones underneath the bleachers taking long drags of cigarettes while the world above us cheers at the illuminated field. But we didn't get that choice. So we huddle close together, the cold, damp ground beneath our feet, and pass that cigarette between us. Inhale, inhale, inhale. The relief of an exhale is a myth, you see. We inhale the worries and fears, inhale the guilt, inhale our lost dreams and the lies we speak that everything's okay. Inhale our friends' declines and eventual deaths and the healthy, pouty-pouty-faced people inconvenienced by home decor issues and a Starbucks too far away from their hood. We just keep sucking it down. Sky doesn't show up much for coffee anymore. Sometimes I just can't be around all of you who are so happy, she says. Sorry. We could gaze downward, peer into our mugs of whatever liquid warmth is required to jumpstart our day. Instead, we lift our faces and look into our eyes and nod. Our worst fear stares back at us. Keep sucking it down, girlfriends. You're mistaken if you think you're in a line. You're stuck in a circle and that cigarette ringed with pink lipstick will keep coming back to you. I'm getting tired, guys, Haley says. She's reached the point where she should be dead. But her body keeps chugging along and changed by her cancer. I wonder if Haley, Mindy, and Skye recognize that they're the ones who'll most likely have grandchildren named after them. And then this. A week ago, Haley's mom dies from a routine surgery. Her rock, her best friend. The irony that we all have a combined 40-plus surgeries, some more complicated than others, is not lost. How can Haley possibly do this next phase without her? She's heartbroken, depleted, confused, but manages to send us a text. I finally have a silver lining regarding cancer. Without it, I wouldn't have spent nearly as much time with my mom as I have these last three years. Serena replies that Haley's sentiment messes with her head. And then today, a text from Skye. Bad news, new tumors in my brain. She's devastated. We all are. But we'll pick that scab of vulnerability wide open, let it bleed onto our table. I'm not so sure most people could do that, but my crew can. It's quite possibly the bravest act we will ever do. Mm. Denise, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to let you catch your breath for a second, and we will take a quick break here for a testimonial. Hi, this is Gretchen. 
I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 37, and not until about two or three years after my diagnosis, um, during the pandemic actually, I signed up for a wildfire writing workshop. And it was probably hands down one of the most therapeutic six weeks of my life. I had never had any therapy um, since my diagnosis. So going through this workshop was the first time I really was forced to um, head on, face a lot of the issues that I didn't even realize that I hadn't dealt with yet. Um, so in addition to that, though, what was even more impactful about that workshop was the opportunity to listen to everybody else's stories and to see a part of myself in other people's stories. Even though we all came from such different walks of life, we were all had completely different diagnoses. Some people were just diagnosed. Some people were five, 10 years out from their diagnosis, um, even longer. And um, just to have that experience and that intimate conversation um, during that time um, just made me feel a lot less alone. And um, I don't know, I just highly recommended it. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to do that. Um, so thank you, April. Thank you so much for the love. All right. Welcome back, Denise. Thank you again for your powerful writing and and telling it to us out loud. Thank you. Well, well you're very welcome. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a while since you wrote yeah. this. I said it was from our 2019. Yeah. Do you do you feel like giving us an update or how this was for you to go back to? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when you write something, you just put it out there and it, it's in the universe and it, it's no longer yours. So I, I might have changed a little bit of it, but, it, you know, it, it's, it represents me at the time. And um, Sky is still here four years later. Um, and uh, she's she's doing another um, radiation to the brain. They found more cancer there. Haley's still here on her first line of meds, um, and she was diagnosed de novo with a, her youngest was two, and now I believe that youngest is nine. Well, anyway, mm. older. And um, Mindy died during the pandemic. She, she, she lived for quite a while with ovarian cancer in her lungs after she had had breast cancer. She lived for 12 years after. So she didn't quite wow. make her drop dead date, which was the year that her kids would graduate. She missed that by two years, but, um, mm -hmm. she, she was, she was great. She, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm just feeling these women in this, um, in the zoom with us today as we chat. And I'm so privileged that you are speaking their names and sharing their stories with all of that, with all of us rather. And I think that that's a really powerful way of honoring, not just, um, Mindy having passed, but everyone, you know, what, what the experience of 
cancer is and to just say it aloud, share it in writing, speak it across a table to each other. It's powerful. And to not have to do it alone, to be able to share the weight of, of illness when one, with one another, I think is it's really powerful and it's also really heavy. And yes. um, and I could hear that heaviness in your story. Yeah. What, what would you say to that? Well, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because uh, there's a both and situation that comes into play. Like when you're first diagnosed, you're, you're pretty anxious and anxiety creates an avoidance behavior. So you're avoidant toward those who are diagnosed stage four. You're avoidant toward uh, wanting to acknowledge that 30% of people die from this. And, and you have to take care of yourself during that avoidant period. However, the growth really comes from when you open your heart up to those friends and are present for them um, and listen to their stories. And um, the healing really comes when you actually recognize that their situation is not your own. And while there is hope that you might have, and there's hope for them that they get to live a long life, um, you're okay, reasonably okay, if things change. And uh, that, that's the incredible healing that comes. And um, it's really important to take care of yourself and be avoidant when you need to be. However, in order to grow, you have to move past that and uh, begin exposing yourself to those things that are uncomfortable. Because, you know, imagination is worse than the reality in a lot of a lot of um, situations. I mean, the majority of situations, especially when you're anxious because you start creating stories about what it is, but you don't really know the reality. And there's so much to learn from our stage four friends. There's so much to learn uh, just from any uh, friend who's been through cancer and uh, when you're going through it together and just supporting each other. And, and that's evolved for our group. You know, before a lot of us were anxious, um, but we were there for each other. And now it's just like we're, we're more settled. We've all experienced our menopause um, and, and we see situations that it's not so personal. We don't take it personally. And I, and I have to say, like, for example, when Mindy was dying, you know, it was the pandemic. It really sucked um, because uh, it's not like we could have an influx of people just visit her and I had to be masked to see her. And uh, she was there just sharing her last thoughts with her kids. She was very open with her kids, but with us too, um, she was very open about things. Um, but eventually it was Emily who, who was the one who was able to be there for Mindy because she's a professional masseuse. And that is the one thing that Mindy wanted because she just was laying for, she laid in her um, living room for like a month and you know, her body was sore and uh, it, and it also had festering sores and, and the things that you don't see that cancer causes. And um, Emily was still on antidepressants uh, from her cancer diagnosis, but her family would call on her because Mindy needed massages and she would show up every single time for Mindy and just love on her, you know, and just give her those massages that she needed, even though she was seeing some really horrible things that a dying body does um, that, you know, in this culture, we don't really talk about or 
we just tend to avoid it. Yeah, you're right. We do tend to avoid it. And I think you're also right that there is a gift in that when you're able and willing to show up for a friend in that way. It's not it's not all bad and scary. It's it's a gift. Um and I'm thinking about in your piece you you shared about a dying shawl that you all mm-hmm. began to create um for Sky. And I, I'm thinking about this honoring, you know, um, in Emily honoring Mindy's body and in this creation of something to wrap around your friends. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, maybe literally the shawl. I would love to know more, but also just in this metaphoric, like wrapping yourselves around each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was very symbolic. You know, it was going to be like a hug for her. And, um, it, you know, it, things just moved so fast within a week. You know, we thought, oh, crap, she's got a year to live. Whoa, that's so fast. And then it was just like months. And then it was like, I was, cause I was texting with Sky and then I text the group and it was like, what the hell? She only has days, you know? And we all met at the coffee shop, you know, and just to get together just so that we could process what was going on. And, you know, people were crying and stuff, but I was like, okay, so I've got this idea that we could do for her because this is a really scary time for her. I mean, she didn't have much to process, you know, all of a sudden it was like, boom, she was not only stage four, but then just within a week, you know, she was given like days to live. And honestly, and I have to say this, um, a social responsibility that was Kaiser that did that to her, Mm -hmm. that, um, tracked her and refused to give her her septin. And they had to go to another hospital to get a note from a, a, an oncologist to say, infuse her. She is not on the hospice dying track. So that's mm-hmm. what they had done. Mm-hmm. And um, also it's important really quickly just to say that insurance, and I think this is this has happened with Kaiser as well, like with Emily, is they um, did, do not give their um, bilateral mastectomy patients a pain pump. And that's the three-day mm-hmm. pain pump that happens. And nurses have said that there's a visible difference between women who receive that and those who don't. And um, you need to advocate for yourself and with your insurance to get that three-day pain pump. It's just lidocaine. That's all it is. And it makes a huge difference in your recovery those first three days. And Emily was crying for three days and she felt like her chest was on fire. And that is reprehensible. But anyway, so this was Kaiser. And I have to say that, that, um, and it, she would be dead if she hadn't, and her husband hadn't um, tried to advocate and go outside of the system. So they, they infused her with septin and she she revived. But in between that time, yeah, I, I was embroidering this shawl with all of her names. I had gotten the silk. We got back together because I, I wanted to make it nice and soft and silky for her and something beautiful. And we all wrote our names on there. And um, I think Jen wrote, like, drew a coffee cup or whatever. And then I embroidered on it. And it took me like, oh, I don't know, like maybe 24 hours with little sleep. But then it was just like, I zoomed it over to Skye's house. And her husband said that that made her feel really, really good during this whole process. Of course, now she can't look at it. She put it in a box with all the stuff, you know, <laughs> you know? but, but that, that's not the point. You know, the point is that it was there for her the mo- moment that she needed it. And because uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, now, now it's in a box. Mm with things that she just can't look at because that was just a horrible time. And we all understand that. Yeah. 
Of course. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about, um, yeah, you know, the box of things that you can't look at. And it's making me think too about how sometimes we aren't sure if we want to stay in these friendships, you know, because of the heaviness. And I, I hear of people saying like, I just, I, I need to take a break from the community or I need, you know, I have to get off social media or I just, I can't hear the stories. And for me, it just, I just, I can't not, you know, I have to stay in it because I get so much, um, yes, heaviness, but also so much just, um, appreciation and awe for these, um, fellow people going through this and also who else understands what I've been through. So I stay, but I wonder for you, Denise, like, do you have moments where you want to pull out of your, your friendship group or out of the community or what keeps you in, in cancer land? Yeah, no, these are my people we've been through a lot together. And, uh, so that, that's how the friendship was created and that's how it stays. And the pandemic is really trying to to do a good job of tearing us <laughs> apart in some ways. But we we text occasionally and we've met outside Jen's coffee shop and I, I think things are getting better. But you know, we have some friends who their immune systems aren't that great. And um so we have to um recognize that as well. Uh you know, it, it's mm-hmm. just if everybody's real and it's all good. And um you know, for a while, yeah, Sky is just like, I-, I can't hang around you guys right now. And, but I mean, she's also back. I mean, she's never left. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, it's, it's about learning how to take care of yourself. And sometimes mm-hmm. you have to take breaks from, from communities, from friends. I mean, even non cancery friends, sometimes I have to take a little breather, you know? Um, but it's really it's really powerful when people know what you've been through. They know what um, you may be going toward, you know, when you have friends who are various stages of, of the process and everything. And so I just love picturing you guys. Um, pandemic be damned. I just love picturing you guys around this table, you know, together and, and just holding that space. I think it's really powerful. And I'm also glad that in your area, you were able to slowly find each other, you know, the word of mouth, um, yeah. came through. Yeah. 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 It was, it was word of mouth and, uh, I'm grateful to everybody who, who sent me a friend and not yet another broccoli or celery juice recipe that'll cure everything. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Or those terrible like, oh, you have breast cancer? Let me tell you about my friends, cousins, uncles, dogs, whatever, who passed away story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We've got, I've gotten plenty of those, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, these were good texts. (laughs) Yes. Well, Denise, our time has run short, but I want to thank you again so much for your story. This was called Dynamite for the Dinner Table from our 2019 social issue. And Denise's story is going to be one of the ones featured in our forthcoming anthology that's coming out this summer called Igniting the Fire Within, Stories of Healing, Hope, and Humor. Denise, in the meantime, where can people find you and learn more about you? Oh, yeah. I'm on Instagram at homunculus with little dots in between. (laughs) 
So that's where perfect. You can find we me. will. Yeah, we'll link to it, and people can see your um, your sewing creations. It's always so fun to follow. Yeah, and the bus driving that's going on right now. <laughs> exactly. Yes, we'll have to have you on to tell an, a bus driving story one of these days as well. <laughs> sure. All right. Thanks again, Denise. I am April Stearns. You've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 36 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story, and don't forget to sign up for that email list. All right, here is your writing prompt. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping. The prompt is friendship is. I want you to think about what friendship means to you today. I don't just mean generically, I mean for you specifically. What does friendship and love look like in your life right now? Eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out, where it will take you. Happy writing, thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.